We're continuing our series B. Uh, so February, we kind of said, was a sub-series focusing on relationships. We're talking about don't be angry, stay faithful, keep your word, and uh, <clears throat> love those who are difficult to love. And so this week, we are diving into kind of the next sub-series, and we're looking at spiritual disciplines that Jesus wants to talk about. And these spiritual disciplines weren't new for the Jewish people, but as Jesus has done all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he has put a new spin on it. And so we're going to look at these new B statements. Ultimately, the overarching thing is going to be be disciplined, especially in our spiritual lives, as we want to honor God with our lives and we want to grow in this relationship. God ultimately wants us to have a close, intimate relationship with Him. And if we are disciplined in growing that relationship, um, there's going to be benefits, there's going to be fruit from it. And that is what, and as just like in your marriage, just like any relationship, it doesn't just happen. It takes a little bit of work. And your relationship with God is the same thing. It requires communication. It requires connection. And so we're going to dive into some of these things that Jesus wants to unpack a little further. Um, start off. So we are in Matthew 6, starting at verse 1. Uh, Jesus says, watch out. Do your good de- don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Now, some of you may be reading that and be like, wait a second. A couple weeks ago, Matt, you just told us that God, Jesus wanted us to have our good deeds seen. We're supposed to be the light of the world, and the world's supposed to see us doing our good things, and now Jesus is saying something completely different. I addressed it then, I'll address it again. Just because Jesus says something once, it is not overarching for everything. And Jesus is God, he's allowed to have exceptions to his rules. And so when it comes to loving on our neighbor and being righteous and standing for truth and and doing these good things, Jesus says, let the world see you doing the good things, not for your own benefit, not for your own pat on the back, but so that your God that loves you and teaches you to do good things can be glorified. That it gets traced back to what a good God you serve, that they've trained you, he has trained you and led you and developed you to be such a good person. And Jesus is saying, these next couple of things though, you're not doing for people's admiration, you're not seeing for people to see. These are just between you and your Heavenly Father. And so there's difference, and we need to understand that there's a difference between the... Because, and what has happened is, when it comes to the good deeds, the things that we're supposed to let our light shine, we typically hide. And the things that God's saying, please be discreet and please be secretive, we tend to want to show off. And Jesus is encouraging us to flip that and say, there's things that you can do and you want the world to see, not so that you get the glory, but so God does. But then there's some things that you just do because if you just keep it between you and God, there is a heavenly reward for you. There's a heavenly blessing in store for you. So that, I needed to unpack that slightly before we moved on. And here we go. Verse 2. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing their trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, these next three things that we're going to look at, 
I, as I was reading through, I was like, Jesus, God, there's got to be some context here because I see it at face value how it applies to me. But what did these words mean back then when you said them? What is the thing you were trying to address when you, when you said these things to the original audience? And so <laughs> when he's talking about don't blow your trumpet, this is, I found this to be super interesting. So at the time... What the Jews had started to do was there was a chest at the temple. It was called the shofar chest or the trumpet chest. And what you would do is you would take your offerings for the poor and you would drop them into this chest. And the reason it was called the trumpet chest is because it started off really wide and it narrowed down to this tiny hole that went into the chest. And it was designed so that thieves couldn't get their hands in and pull it out. Makes sense. And so what you would do is you take your offering and you would drop it into this chest. And then at certain times throughout the week, the chest would be open and the offering and the, the, what was in there would be distributed to everybody. And here's what happened. The Pharisees, poor Pharisees, they just get ragged on. But they, they do stupid things and they deserve to be ragged on. Um, what the Pharisees had decided to do before Jesus said this was it was too cumbersome to walk over to the chest and drop their offering into it. It just, it was too inefficient. So instead, they would load up their pockets with their, the money that they wanted to distribute to the poor. They would find a street corner. They would pull out a trumpet. And, and that was the sign to the poor people, come to me. Let me distribute my wealth to you. And they would, and people would flock to find this super generous Pharisee that had all these riches and this wealth, and, and they would flock to them. And what would end up happening? What, what happened? What would happen when the Pharisee blew his trumpet? Was it only the poor people that heard it? No, everyone heard it. Everyone saw. So you can't be like, and like, oh, praise to God, oh, it's not about me. Don't, no, don't look at me. Don't look at the trumpet blower. Don't look at money bags here. Just, you know. No. That's not what would happen. It was always all about them. And this is what Jesus is saying. They got their reward. They got what was coming to them. But Jesus is saying, when he says, don't let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. Uh, It has always, it's been typically been taught that it's like, just don't let others see what you are giving, how much you give, how generous you're being. But Jesus is actually saying something significantly more profound than that. What Jesus is saying is, not only do not let others see what you're giving, but don't even dwell on how much you gave. Don't even pat yourself on the back and say, oh, good job. Oh, oh, man, that, that feels good. That was good for me. Good for me for being just. He said, no, 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 don't even do that. When you go, when you give to the needy, when you put your offering into the chest, just drop it in and walk away. And that's because you are just doing what your Heavenly Father's taught you to do. And what has your Heavenly Father done? He has given you all good things in great abundance. Every good thing that is in your life, Jesus gave to you, and He gave it to you freely. And all, all God is saying is that you, as I have done for you, you do for those, to those who are in need. Don't pat yourself on the back. Don't do it for recognition. Don't do it for anyone else to see it. But don't even, don't even be like, oh, good job, me. <coughs> there was another thing that was happening, though, with this chest. And I thought this was really interesting. 
So not only, the Pharisees, that was the obvious bad thing, right? Uh, that was obviously bad. But the other thing that was happening, because this funnel had to be strong and had to be, well, funnel, this trumpet had to be strong enough that you couldn't break it, you couldn't, like, get into it, it had to be made out of strong material, there's one of two things happening when it came to putting stuff in the chest. One was, I'll use my ring because I didn't find a good funnel. Um, you could either put it in nice and quietly and, and, and just walk away. Or, here's the big, right? You just be like, oh, oh oops, sorry. Oh, did you hear that? Oops. Right? And the more coins you put in, the louder it would be. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. Did that? Did you hear that? Oh, I'm so. Oh, silly me, being so generous again. Oh. And she's like, "Don't, don't do that. Don't draw attention to it. Don't, don't, don't even let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. Because we can do this, right? The, nothing has changed. When we talk about money, and we talk about how generous we are, we we do. We talk about this, right? Humble brag." Humble brag. I gave. I gave so much last year, right? Or we get that big old tax receipt at the end, of, at the beginning of the year. I'm like, good job, me. I didn't even realize I gave that much. Wow. The question that's been asked, and lots of pastors have talked about this, and they're concerned about it. What happens if we lose our charitable status, and we don't get that little good job note that we get every year? Would people continue to give? Would you continue to support and give to the church and continue to give to charities? Not just to the church, to charities in general. If, if we just didn't get a tax receipt at the end of the year, would we continue to give? And that's a question we really need to ask ourselves. Like, ooh. Because that means no more good job from the government. That means no more good job from the charities. It's nothing. You just give because it's the right thing to do. Because when we read through Acts, the interesting thing that happens in Acts 2, after this church has this great big explosion of people, it, they're not been taught it. They, we don't see any teaching about giving to the poor. We don't, we don't see any of it. They just, they get saved. The Holy Spirit comes in them, and they just instantly do what? It says there's no needy among them. They had everything in common. If everyone had need, they just met the need. Generosity has been a part of the church since the get-go. Since, the, the, since Jesus ascended, the church has been generous and meeting the needs of the needy. And it's not a good job thing. It's just, this is what we do. And this is what we have always done. And this is what we will continue to do. So when you give to the needy, don't even pat yourself on the back. You only do it because that is what your Heavenly Father did for you. Continuing on. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where people can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in heaven, your Father in private. And your Father who sees everything, will reward you. Now, little note that I needed to make before we move on. Jesus doesn't say if. Jesus says when. There's an expectation that Jesus has of his followers. 
that when you give to the needy, because he said when back there, when you give to the needy, do it this way. When you pray, you're going to do it this way. He's going to say it again on the next portion. When you pray, when you pray, when you fast, when you, Jesus has this expectation of his followers that we are going to do this. Not, it's not an optional thing for him. And we need to see that. We need to remember that. And I'm going to bring it up every time. As long as Jesus says when, we are going to come back to this, this idea that it is a when. <clears throat> but Jesus talks about the hypocrites. And I wanted to bring this up. So the original Greek, when, it's, when Jesus says hypocrite, was referring to actors who would wear exaggerated masks. The idea was that you didn't have microphones, so you had great big masks with over-exaggerated smiles or over-exaggerated frowns so that people way back in the auditorium could see the expression of the mask that you were wearing. Hypocrite literally means mask wearer, and it was a mask that was designed to be seen by the masses. So imagine Jesus calling the spiritual leaders hypocrites. You hypocrites, you you mask, I almost said wask wearers. That's a new word. You mask wearers. You who put on this great and elaborate show. She said, no, 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 you're not, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those who go through these actions and do it all for show so that people can see how great they are, but you do it differently. And what was happening at the time um, <laughs> in Jesus' day, there were set times of prayer at the temple. So at 9 in the morning, at noon, and at 3 in the afternoon, you were expected to go to the temple to pray. And so the Jews would come to the temple, and they would partake in this. And what had started happening were the Pharisees, these poor guys, just getting right gone again, um, they wouldn't wait till they got to the temple. They'd get to the corner just before the temple, and they would start praying their big and amazing prayers. And the heart behind it was, we're going to start praying early, and that's going to be the signal to everybody that it is time to come to temple for prayer. So we're going to start praying. We're going to do it loud. We're going to do it boisterous. We're going to make sure people see us, and hopefully that encourages people to come with us and join us at the temple. But what, in, what inevitably happened? Wow, look how holy they are. Look how righteous the faith. They can't even wait till they get, they can't even wait to get to the temple and start praying. They started early. Wow, so amazing. They're so holy. They're so connected to God. They just, oh, this is awesome. Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Don't do that. Don't, don't pray for show. They got their reward. Why? Because God is calling us to this deep, intimate relationship. And, and as I, I look over, other than the teens, everyone here is married or going to be married. How, well, how would it go over in your marriage if the only time you ever held your spouse's hand was in public and you made sure everyone knew it, Right? I know how well I go over my house. Hey, everyone, I'll hold Michelle's hand again. Everyone applaud me for being a good husband. Yeah, that would end quick. Listen to these amazing and encouraging words that I use. Listen, like, no. There are things in our marriage 
that don't need to be put on display for the world to see. And it is the secret place. It is the private places where we get really intimate that our relationship grows deeper. And God is saying in the same way, your prayer life isn't supposed to be this big public show. It's supposed to be this private thing, this intimate thing, just between you and me so we can connect and grow deeper. And not that we shouldn't have public prayer, but the one commentator I was reading said, you should not engage in public prayer if you are not having private prayer. Your public prayer should come out of your ability to privately pray, to privately get into the presence of God and connect with your Heavenly Father in a deep and intimate way. And so Jesus is, again, turning against the norm and saying, when you pray, come to the private place. Close the door. There's just you and me. Get rid of the distractions. Right? For some of us, that means getting up before the children, which seems to get harder and harder because, you know, the sun rises. You know, the whole frozen line. The sun's awake, so I'm awake. No, go back to bed. I'm having my private time with Jesus. Right? Get up. Turn off the phone. Turn off everything. Find your spot. Have your special place. And connect with your Heavenly Father. Not meant to be a show. But everyone should know that you are connecting based on what they see in your life. You don't need to pray in front of people for them to know that you're praying. Put it all aside. When you pray, as my disciples, close the door, get rid of the distractions, and talk to your Heavenly Father in this intimate, deep way so you can grow closer to Him. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. So here's the context of this. When the Romans and the Greeks would pray to their gods, in order to get their gods' attention, they would have to have some kind of chant or incantation to kick off the prayer. And that was like the flair to their gods, and that is now my turn for you to pay attention to me. So for lack of better words, it'd be like us starting our prayer off with like abracadabra. Okay, God, I've said the magic words, now pay attention to me. And what ended up happening were the Jews started doing this. They, they saw the Romans doing it. They saw the Greeks doing it. And, and they seemed to have, their prayer lives seemed to be working. So, so maybe if we did this with our God, maybe God would pay attention to our prayers as well. And so they started having these incantations. I couldn't find any to give you an example of what they would say. But they would start their prayers the same way. And, and it would just be a bunch of gibberish, as Jesus said. Jesus said, you don't have to pray like the Gentiles. You don't have to pray like those who don't follow our God. Why? Because God already knows what you're going to ask before you say it. You don't have to explain to God the situation. Right? As if he doesn't know. God, you know, I'm picking on my wife again because it's easier than picking on, I could pick on you guys too, but anyways. You know, like, God, just, you know, be with Michelle because she's at the youth center again and, you know, a couple kids showed up and they're causing some problems. 
And, and God's like, who's Michelle again? Oh, oh right. Oh, yeah. That's the, oh, and she's where? Oh, 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 my goodness. Okay, I better take no. Oh, and what's happening? <clears throat> Don't have to do that. The Greeks had to do it because their gods had limits. Their gods could only know so much and they're only concerned about certain things. The Romans had to do it because their gods only knew so much and they were almost more human than they were godlike. Your God doesn't need that. Your God doesn't need the explanation. Your God doesn't need the... You don't even need to beg God to move. You don't even need to like ask Him and convince Him that this is a good thing for Him to get involved with. Why? Because your God never stops moving. Your God knows the situation and He's going to move in a way that is perfect for that situation. And His timing is going to be perfect for that situation. So you don't need to convince God to move. So why do we pray? Because God asks us to. Because it's how we connect. It's how we let him know, let him into our lives. Because God is in our life, but sometimes we forget that. And so we come to our God and like, God, help me. God, this is what's going on and I don't know what to do next. And I don't know if I can do it or if you need to do it. And the best example I have for the kind of prayer that God is looking for is Again, sorry, sorry, love. It's just that day. Um, Shell and I, shortly after we were married, we were in a, a situation that <clears throat> was really overwhelming for us, and, and we were praying for quite a while that something had to change. Right? We we're just like, God, I don't know if somebody else needs to change. I don't know if the situation needs to change. I don't know if somebody needs to leave. God, something needs to change. And we prayed this, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And eventually, it was kind of like the light bulb moment. And we're praying one day, and we finally said, God, even if it's me, if I need to change, let me be the, you know, if, if, if we're misinterpreting this, and we, we're not seeing the situation as it really is, if I'm the problem, then change me. And no word of a lie, two days later, the situation got fixed. Why? Because it wasn't about God not moving. It wasn't about God not knowing the situation. It, wasn't, it, didn't, it had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with Michelle and I. Our hearts had to get in the right spot. And so the answer was not what we expected, but it was the journey to get us to the point where we humbled ourselves and said, God, we will change if we're the problem. And I said, two days. We prayed this for months. So again, evidence, I'm a little thick. Takes God time to get me where I need to go so that he can move. But when I got there, in his perfect timing, everything came together, boom, and it changed. So why do we pray? Why do we pray to a God who knows everything and he's going to move regardless? Because God loves us. Because prayer isn't about going to the vending machine and trying to get the right prayer answer. It's not about going to the politician and begging our case. It's about going to our Heavenly Father and connecting with Him and knowing His will. And we don't pray that... Okay, I'm, if you've prayed this recently, I apologize. It's not praying the weak prayer like, God, if it's your will. You know what Romans 12.2 says? Romans 12.2 says, let your mind be renewed because you can know the will of God. The good, pleasing, and perfect will. You can know. You don't have to guess. You don't have to guess if this is God's will. You don't have to guess if this is a good thing. You can know the will of God. 
if you are willing to put in the work, and this is back to this whole relationship thing, if you're willing to put in the work to see the world as God sees it, to have your mind transformed, to, to have it, God's truth be the primary thing that influences our thoughts and our words and our actions, whether our mind is renewed, we can know the will of God, and we can come to God in our prayer life and not say, if it's your will, but God, I firmly believe that this falls into your will, and I know that you are already moving in this direction. So God, show me how I can partner with you. Show me how I can be a part of what you are already doing. Show me what my step is, or give me the wisdom that I need, because you say you're going to give me, you would give wisdom freely. So free, pour it out on me, because I need a lot more of it, apparently. Good thing we have a big space. I sprayed somebody there. You don't have to guess. You can know the will of God. And so we come to our Father not hoping He's going to move. We come to our Father knowing He's going to move. We come to our Father not to inform Him. He already knows. So we just come and we talk to our God and we listen for God to respond back with whatever it is we're asking about, whether it's wisdom, it's knowledge, it's insight, whatever it is, God is just wants to connect with us and He wants us to know His ways and become more and more like Him. An intimate relationship doesn't come from the show. It comes from the quiet places. I'm going to get the worship to come on up. And as I get ready, I want you, everyone to bow their heads. Remember, as we move into this last song, this is a moment for you to respond. So whether you respond by just staying with your head bowed, whether you stand and you praise God that he is a good God, that he knows all the situations and he's moving, regardless if we ask or if you need to pray and let God speak to you and address some things in your life, whatever it is, I pray that you respond in a way that is appropriate for what God is doing in your heart, in your life. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that we would be, that we would live for an audience of one. God, that we're not doing, going through the motions, trying to get everyone's attention, trying to earn the respect and the favor of people, but God, that we are living in a way that honors you, that points people back to you, and God, that we would pray in a way that connects us to you not with big fancy words, not with not with empty prayers, but with prayers that are open, that are honest, that connect us to our Father, that we can know your will and your ways and that we can walk in them, God. We don't come to you asking you to move. We come to you knowing you're going to move and just wanting to be a part of it. Father, may our connection to you grow deeper. Give us ears to hear when you speak. Give us hearts that are willing to obey wherever you lead. We pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus.